brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Our universe is incredible, surrounded by mystery and beauty. And many of us have questions about our past, present, and future. October Hallam is an intuitive medium with over 20 years of experience. She has assisted people with discovering their path by understanding their past and connected the living to their loved ones who have made the transition. She is currently offering readings through Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, phone, and in person. You can reach her at theancientgift222 at gmail.com. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Morgan Daimler. Before I bring her on, a couple of announcements. This summer, October and I will be filming and producing a documentary. We're going to be traveling across the United States, interviewing your favorite and my favorite authors, researchers, contactees, whistleblowers, and of course, fellow podcasters. I want to document this unseen revolution of information and conspiracy truth that's unfolding with this mass awakening and exodus of the Matrix. In order to do so, we will ask for your help with donations. We are completely self-funded. Anyone that donates will also be listed in the credits. And if you would like us to come visit you on our cross-country trip, email me at ForbiddenKnowledgeNews at gmail.com. All those links in the description if you would like to help us with our documentary project. Our new free episodes are always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, all podcast platforms. If you aren't on Rockfin yet, get there. You're missing some amazing content. Rockfin is where you get all our premium content, but you also get all the premium, all the free content from every creator there on Rockfin. 
Go to our website, ForbiddenKnowledge.news. Check that out. That's the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. We feature some amazing podcasts on there. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, check out our friends at Fake Mask. Some people, unfortunately, are still being required to wear masks for their jobs or at the airport. Fake Mask has the most breathable and authentic-looking masks on the market. Sure to get you on a plane and into work. Click the link in the description. You get 10% off your order. Today, I want to welcome Morgan Daimler. She is author of more than two dozen books on subjects relating to Irish mythology, paganism, and fairies. She has contributed to multiple anthologies and magazines, as well as taught workshops on these topics across the United States and internationally. Morgan, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on today. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. I've been looking forward to it. It's such a fascinating topic we're going to be discussing. It has so many parallels with other unexplained or uh, paranormal phenomena. Uh, Now, you're an expert on the folklore surrounding fairies and the way these beliefs can and have intersected with popular and modern culture like UFOs, abduction, experiences, and a whole array of high strangeness phenomenon that could be crossing over. Uh, So this is fascinating, and this is also your first time on. Tell us a little bit about what got you interested in these topics. Um, I mean, it's, that's a long backstory, but I really think it just comes down to personal experience. Like a lot of people, I think, you know, you, you have experiences that are sort of outside the ordinary for other people and you end up sort of trying to find some context, some explanation. Um, in my case, I was very, very young. So as I got a little older, you know, I started really digging into the folklore because that was what made the most sense for, you know, my own, um, my own background and also, you know, the, the particular experiences I was having. So that's, that's what got me started on it. And it's one of those subjects, the more you learn about it and the more you research into it, it's, it's that rabbit hole that just pulls you in. Definitely. So much more to it. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about some of those experiences you were having? Um, sure. I'd have to think for a minute because, like I said, I was I was very young um, mm. initially. Uh, so one of the things that I've I've talked about uh, publicly before is when I was around um, five or six years old, um, I would be in my room at night and um, I had one of those rooms where, like, the window there was a tree and there was a street light and the shadows would come in. And I was a little kid. I mean, you know, you get freaked out shadows moving on the wall, that kind of thing. And I have very vivid memories of a redheaded woman sitting next to me, comforting me when I was upset and crying. Um, And at the time, I really don't think I understood who that was or what was going on. Later on, when I got a little older, I sort of put that in the context of a a fairy encounter um, because some of them can go in that direction. Um, I've certainly had others that were much more uh, in the the opposite end of the spectrum. (laughs) Um, When I was a little older, um, I actually uh, used to be an EMT and um, I had had one experience when my partner and I were supposed to pick someone up and we were early. It was like four o'clock in the morning. 
um, the company, I, ambulance company I worked for, I should specify before I really confuse everyone, did not just do emergencies. <laughs> we also did like medical transfers. So um, we were not hanging around waiting for a scheduled emergency. We were, you know, hanging around waiting to, to take someone for an appointment. And um, it's like four o'clock in the morning, pitch black, probably like February. And I had gotten out to kind of walk around because we were parked waiting. And I saw what looked like a white dog coming towards me across this really big open field. Um, they had fenced it off because it was a construction site. They were going to build some, um, I think it was like uh, high rise apartments or something there. And I'm standing there at the fence and I'm watching this dog come towards me. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking it's a little weird because there's no humans anywhere. There's no one with the dog. There's no one else in the field. Um, you know, it's, it's four in the morning. There's no one on the streets. There's just, it's deserted. And as it got closer, as it got about halfway across this field, which is a very large space, I kind of realized that it wasn't actually a dog. It looked like a dog, but the front leg, there was just one front leg and it was like in the center of its chest which is something we see sometimes with fairy hounds and folklore fairy dogs. Um, and I got completely freaked out. <laughs> I was probably like 18 or 19 at this point. Um, so I ran around and jumped back in the ambulance, um, scared the guy I was working with, who was like, you know, what, what is your problem? <laughs> what is going on? So I point out to be like, well, there's this dog. And you looked out, it was gone. There was nothing there. And it was, it was white. It was very easy to see even in the darkness. And there was nowhere for it to have gone. You know, it was this big empty field surrounded by this chain link, you know, construction fence. Um, and that was also kind of the moment I realized, okay, this was definitely not, it's not a normal situation, whatever's going on here. So it's things like that, you know. Wow. Okay. So we're definitely going to have to talk about fairy dogs here in a second. But uh, before we get to that, what is your basic definition or understanding of what a fairy is? Because, you know, it sounds like, you know, people can confuse them with ghosts or other types of entities. What is a fairy? That is an excellent question. Uh, and this is also one of those things that causes massive confusion because uh, particularly in like popular culture um, in the U.S. And, and in other places, we've kind of gotten this idea that a fairy is this very specific sort of little Tinkerbell kind of thing, like children's cartoon, tiny winged being. Um, and actually in, in the folklore and across, you know, many, many cultures, the word fairy is just sort of used as a catch-all term for beings that aren't um, necessarily clearly ghosts, that aren't demonic, that aren't angels, that, you know, it's kind of this, this miscellaneous other category. And really the only defining characteristic we have of these beings is that they're connected to this world of fairy, this other world. Um, that's actually the, the original wor word fairy um, was for that place, not for the, the beings. And then it kind of came to be associated with them because that's the place they come from. So when we talk about fairies, there's actually this huge range of, of possible things you can encounter. Um, some of them do look like those little tiny winged things that people expect. Um, some of them look very human. 
uh, most of the folklore and even the modern anecdotal accounts, when you you hear people talking about them, kind of like that first story that I mentioned with the the redheaded woman when I was a little girl, um, they describe people seeing things that look very human, but are not, are in one way or another, clearly not human. Uh, You have things like fairy dogs, which I mentioned, there's fairy cats, fairy horses, Um, you have things that are sort of look human, but giant, um, things that, you know, shape shift. So you have something like in Ireland, there's a being called the puka, which can look like a human, um, but can also look like a dog or a goat or a pony, or, you know, it can, it can appear in a lot of different ways. Um, so it's a very broad category. (laughs) Yes, that's super interesting. It sounds like, you know, just a, a different type of dimensional entity that's existing in, you know, possibly a, a spectrum or frequency that we can't access uh, with our normal vision. Uh, now, you also talk about the difference between elementals and fairies. And this, you know, there there seems to be a lot of crossover there as well. Could you tell us a little bit about the difference there? Sure. Um, and this is something... I'm, I'm going to make myself sound really old for this part of the conversation. Um, back in the 1990s, you know, the, the good old 20th century, um, when people talked about elementals, it was a very specific sort of being that they were talking about. It was something that was tied to one particular element. So like a water elemental couldn't exist outside of water. A fire elemental can't exist out of fire, that sort of a thing. But there's been this sort of... Um, change in the understanding of it across the last 10 years or so, where people are starting to use the term elemental for what I would really refer to as a fairy in most cases. So um, particularly the sorts of fairies that are very associated with nature or particular locations. Um, And the idea that these beings are sort of um, outside of the, the human realm that they don't operate by human rules. They kind of have their own way of doing things that they can get very angry if damage is done to the places they're associated with um, and that they can be kind of malevolent. Um, a lot of stories you'll run across with elementals, they're, they're not really a friendly sort of thing that you want to run into. Um, so it, it kind of becomes muddy, muddy waters, you know? Yeah. Um, when we're trying to clearly define the difference um, in, in my experience, a lot of times when people are talking about elementals, especially elementals associated with hauntings, what they're really talking about is fairies. They're just not wanting to use the term fairy either because of that sort of little Tinkerbell association um, or because, you know, there's also this wider sort of pop culture idea that fairies are good and helpful and um, you know, positive sorts of beings exclusively and you know uh elementals people that encounter them it definitely that's not the experience they're having so it's sort of this this term that's being applied for that i hope that makes sense a lot of things with this subject get very confusing yeah, I mean, the whole, you know, ufology, paranormal, it, it it all parallels and gets very confusing. It's like an onion you can never completely uh, unpeel. Let's talk about uh, sticking with fairies. What do you think their interest or relationship or agendas with humans uh, typically are? Ooh, getting right to the 
really meaty questions. <laughs> um, that is a great question. Um, and I really like the way that you phrased it. I, I think to be fair, before I get into the rest of this, I, I think there's layers to this onion that we will really never know. Um, you know, there's potential reasons for fairies to, to be interested in humans or interacting with humans that are just sort of beyond our understanding. Um, traditionally in folklore, the reasons that fairies tend to be interested in humans are usually not particularly healthy for the humans. So we have a lot of stories um, and people who are familiar with like UFO um, and, and alien material are going to see a lot of similarities coming up in what I'm about to say. Um, we see a lot of stories of humans being stolen um, or, you know, taken away um, oftentimes for uh, like breeding purposes, I guess would be the nice way to phrase that. Right. Um, producing children, because it's said that the fairies are, um, that is an area that they kind of struggle with. So they'll steal humans uh, to help. Uh, again, I'm trying to like phrase this as nicely as I can, but I'm sure everyone can figure out where I'm going with this. Yeah. Um, sometimes they uh, take humans for entertainment. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, there's certain types of humans that they'll take and give back and... That seems to be an aspect of the relationship between humans and fairies that's a little more um, healthy. Uh, like musicians, they're very fond of stealing musicians, but they let them go afterwards. Um, midwives tying into the, <laughs> the thing I was just talking about because um, they don't have a lot of births themselves when they need a midwife. They tend to borrow a human one and then, you know, they return her. But, you know... There are also fairies that are, are predatory in nature. So we have stories of fairies that, you know, target humans because the human is a food source for them. So we're talking about sort of that wider subject of fairies and humans and that connection gets very, very complicated. Hmm. Um, it's, there's very clearly a symbiotic relationship going on. You know, there's this long standing connection between fairies and humans uh, across a lot of cultures. Sometimes it's okay for the human. A lot of times it really doesn't work out so well for the human involved, but um, it's definitely something very deep seated. Um, there's also a lot of speculation because when we look at stories with fairies, it seems like they tend to either mimic 
or imitate human culture that's around them. Um, there's a lot of stories about they'll appear dressed like a generation or two um, behind the current trends. Uh, if there's a new human technology, they'll show up asking to kind of borrow it or make use of it. Um, and then sort of as human culture changes, that keeps pace, if you see what I'm saying. So, you know, there's also some interesting aspects of that. Like, what could that mean? Why do they do that? You know, um, it's, it's a lot of interesting food for thought. I think. Definitely. And I've I've heard kind of stories and, and older tales that humans getting involved with these are sometimes asked to do tasks or maybe kind of be in somewhat indebted to these entities in some way. Have you ever heard anything like this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, material in the folklore. And I tend to say the folklore a lot. But to be clear, like this, this isn't just in history and in the past, like right. up through, you know, today when people talk about modern encounters. Um, there's a lot of stories of people who are told, um, you know, that, for example, the fairies would help them with something, but they had to do something or not do something like either, for example, like you can't talk about it. You can't tell anyone else. And if you tell someone, then you lose whatever the benefit was. Yeah. Um, or they'll lend you something, but you have to pay them back, you know, at a very precise time and the exact amount, like to the grain of wheat, for example, of whatever you were lent, um, or there's going to be some, you know, negative consequence. And a lot of times the reason we see the stories is because someone messes up along the lines. Um, and then it's sort of a, you know, this is the consequence because they they didn't do it on time or they didn't do it the right amount um, or the right thing that they were asked for, uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, we definitely see a lot of, of that sort of thing. Fairies in general across most of the stories seem to be very kind of analytical and almost um, lawyeristic, if that's a term. Yeah. Um, you know, they're very into like contracts and agreements and, you know, things have to be done precisely um, or there's going to be consequences. That's some crossover kind of with like demonic entities and some, you know, uh, contracts and, you know, stealing of people's souls or selling of people's souls. That That's what that reminds me of as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's some crossover in some of the folklore more sort of explicitly that kind of says that the fairies have a connection to that sort of energy. Mm. Um, and again, we, we kind of get to this muddy area where it's a little unclear whether the people who were saying this were saying it because they're so similar. And then that the logical association is, well, if I'm really familiar with like demons and that sort of concept, and now we have this other thing that's, that seems really similar, they must somehow be connected or is it because, you know, in this belief that, yeah, they're, they actually are sort of like adjacent in <laughs> um, a lot of the, um, if we look at like the more Christian folklore around fairies, the belief is either that they're fallen angels that are not good enough for heaven. So they're still kind of borderline angels um, or they're fallen angels that are not bad enough for hell, in which case they're seen more as demons, but sort of not so bad <laughs> demons. Um, it's this, it's this weird sort of gray zone. Um, 
no pun intended for right. the aliens, but yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, you you talked a little bit about it earlier, the, the kind of land of the fairies or realm. Uh, often in these stories, people are taken to a different place that they can't explain, um, you know, a completely different reality, uh, sometimes kept there for long periods of time. And when they go back, it hasn't only been but a few minutes or a few hours, uh, things like that, that also parallel to, to UFO abductions. What is your understanding of the fairy realm or where these uh, people are being taken when abducted? You know, this is another of those, I'm just going to start calling them onion questions. This is another of those layers of the onion that there's theories, but I don't think we have any like solid surety with it. Um, There are some people who feel, you know, in, in modern terms that fairies are a sort of interdimensional being. Um, and some people fear they're kind of an extra dimensional being. So, you know, the idea would be that the land of fairy, the place that they come from is a place that is effectively an alternate dimension. It's another reality that is either a deeper level of our own, hence interdimensional or adjacent to attached to ours, which is the more extra dimensional view. Um, Either way, when a person gets taken into this world, um, they're, they're sort of ceasing to exist in this reality and they're being brought into some place that has a sort of different set of rules. Um, time is one of the biggest things that gets mentioned. Um, and again, very similar with, with UFO abduction stories, but, you know, we have accounts where someone, uh, went into the land of fairy and from his point of view, lived there for several years you know, as clear memories of the daily living for several years and then um, violated a prohibition, uh, which is getting back to that lawyer mentality that they have, um, and was kicked out because um, they're they'll usually tell a human um, who is in their world or attached to their world, like there's a certain thing you can't do or you can't stay here anymore. Um, whether that's a test of trust or however you want to interpret it, it's a very common thing we see in the stories. So he gets kicked out. And when he sort of comes to, he finds out only five minutes have passed in our world, which of course is very jarring and disturbing for him because he's lived years, you know, and then all his friends here are like, no, it's literally been like, you know, five minutes. Um, And then we have other stories that go the complete other direction where people are brought into the land of fairy um, or, you know, fully or even partially and then come back and they think it's only been a night or, you know, a very short amount of time. And then in reality, it's been 10 years or a hundred years. And usually in those sorts of stories, the human doesn't live for very long. It's kind of too much. It's too much cognitive dissonance. It's too hard to kind of accept. Um, and I will say, cause I know, again, a lot of this tends to come off like, oh, this is all old, old stories, but There's actually a story from Canada in the 1980s um, of this happening. Um, A gentleman who was working with a logging company went, um, took his lunch. They took their lunch break and he decided to kind of walk off a little bit, was not in the mood to hang out with his coworkers this particular day, I guess, and um, walked off into the woods and ran across this group of people who, you know, seemed to be having sort of like a picnic lunch. Um, by the water out in the woods and they invited him to join them. So he decided he would, 
sits down, eats his lunch, you know, figures about a half an hour has gone by. He's got to get back to work. Um, he goes back to, you know, meet up with the logging crew and they're all absolutely shocked to see him because it's been three days and they've been looking for him. Like the police had been called. It was a whole thing. Um, and they, they assumed either like something bad had happened to him in the woods or he had just intentionally left, you know? Um, and meanwhile, he thinks they're playing a joke on him <laughs> because as far as he's concerned, it's, it's been a half an hour. He went and had lunch and he came back. Um, and I think it, from the, the way I heard the story, it did take them a little while to convince him that he actually had been gone for three days. So, I mean, things like this do still happen. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not as often, but. Now, uh, it, most of these stories you hear, I mean, not necessarily malevolent, but they have this kind of trickster type vibe to them. Uh, are there any accounts that you think these fairies may be trying to help humanity? Is there like a duality in this? Some good, some bad? Yep. I often will compare fairies um, as much as they can be compared to anything else, really. Um, but I'll often tell people like, you need to think of them the same way you would think of humans. Um, you know, they, they all have their own sort of motivations. Some of them are, or at least, you know, appear to be genuinely kind and helpful and they just want to, you know, do what they can. And some of them are just mean and, you know, <laughs> you really, really don't want to run across those ones because they, you know, they, they will mess you up. Um, they all tend to be described as sort of mischievous and, you know, for the kind ones, that's sort of that very lighthearted, you know, joking around, uh, for the mischievous ones, they, they will mess you up <laughs> basically, um, for the malicious ones, I should say. Right. Um, yeah, so there's, there's this whole range, um, and, you know, kind of like humans, it can be a little hard to know which ones to trust and, you know, which ones you need to be more cautious of just based on when you, you might first encounter them if you have an encounter. Yes. That's so you interesting. Know, like, well, like in that logging story, you know, I'm sure the, the ones that invited that gentleman to have lunch with them were not meaning to be malicious you know they, they weren't trying to mess up his life right. um, nonetheless <laughs> you know that was kind of the result although not in like an extreme way yeah yeah that's crazy uh now i want to get your thoughts on one of the aspects of this that i've heard from several different researchers and people looking into this is uh the phenomenon of changelings uh that these fairy beings whatever they are would steal someone's children and then uh instead of giving the child back they give them back uh one of their own they call these a changelings but it looks like a child and then when the the parents get home, it shifts into like a fairy or a bag of sticks or dust or something. Uh, what is your understanding of this? Yeah, um, changeling folklore is found across a, a wide array of cultures. Um, and, you know, pretty much as you just described it, um, although I will say it, it isn't always just children. Um, one of the most famous changeling cases in Ireland, uh, which happened in 1895, was an adult um, she was a 26-year-old woman. Um, she actually ended up being murdered by her husband because he was convinced that she was a changeling and there was a whole trial and it was, it was like big to do at the time. Um, but yeah, the, the general concept is, you know, as I kind of touched on a little earlier, 
fairies will sometimes steal people uh, for their own assorted reasons. And sometimes when they do that, it's just blatant. They just take the person, you know. Um, other times, though, we do see this this changeling coming in where um, the human gets taken and something gets left in the human's place. And um, usually it's, as you said, the, the bag of sticks is quite famous. Um, sometimes it's a sickly fairy baby who then kind of, you know, pines away and dies. Um, sometimes it's actually an old fairy who's looking for like some cushy fairy retirement, <laughs> you know, and, you know, goes in and pretends to be a human infant and gets taken care of and, you know, basically waited on hand and foot from the fairy's point of view. Um, and those are usually the ones that we see the stories of them getting tricked into revealing that's what they are. They get caught like playing an instrument or um, they get caught out like saying something that is way beyond what an infant should be able to say kind of a thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating folklore. I definitely think that it's echoed in modern terms with, with alien abductions, um, this idea of them taking people. Um, the, the changeling lore itself gets really complicated because it is associated with a lot of like really traumatic and unpleasant things. Um, you know, there were multiple murder cases that happened because of people who um, killed, you know, I mentioned the case with the wife, but also, you know, killed children because they thought they were changelings. And the usual remedy for a changeling was you make it so unpleasant that you want the fairies to come and take the changeling away and return the human, which doesn't work when it's not a changeling. <laughs> so, right. You know, wow. Yeah, now uh, I have to. I'm I'm bursting to get to fairy dogs because when you said that, when you told me that story earlier, that was creepy, man. Just seeing you know a dog with a, a leg in the middle and it was so strange looking. So, is your understanding that they could have a wide array of fairy type animals? Yes, um, there's some specific ones that we know that are mentioned. Um, I you know, like fairy dogs, fairy cats, fairy horses, fairy cows things like that. Um, fairy dogs, there's a little bit of variation um, in sort of the descriptions and what we find uh, in Scotland. They're said to be these sort of gigantic, you know, like small cow sized dark green dogs. So very distinctive. You would know it if you saw it. Um, in English folklore, they're uh, usually just large black dogs. Uh, in Welsh folklore, we see the white dogs, which is what I had seen. Um, and then in Ireland, they're a little more um, easily mistaken for sort of human-looking dogs. But again, there's always something clearly. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Not, not you know, human world about them. They always act in ways that, you know, are, are strange, quite frankly. Um, and sometimes we do see, you know, stories of them um, missing a limb, uh, like the one I saw only had three legs, not missing a limb in the way of like, you know, if your dog got hit by a car and you had to amputate a leg and then it learns how to walk on three legs, not that kind of thing, but like malformed, I guess would be a better way to say it. Yeah. Um, you know, animals that just would not exist that way in our world. Um, that makes me think of Skinwalker Ranch. I, I know a lot of longtime researchers there that the high strangeness is it, it's such a, a wide array of different things. But a lot of the things we're talking about tonight sounds like um, a phenomenon that people have witnessed near Skinwalker Ranch or other places of high strangeness like this. I'm wondering if it could be like some kind of fairy den or something. It's interesting because I think there are particular locations um, throughout the world that are kind of like magnets for activity. Mm. And when you look at a place, um, whether it's that one in particular or whether it's, you know, pick any other place that's known for this sort of thing, it's almost like you get layers and layers of stuff going on. So you'll have things that seem to be sort of like cryptid related and you'll have things that seem to be fairy related and you'll have a lot of like human ghosts type haunting activity going on. Um, It's, it's almost like it just becomes this like stew pot of um, any type of activity you can get, you're going to get it in that place. And um, you know, my personal thought on that is there's, these are probably locations where sort of our reality is a little thinner Mm. And, and not as sturdy <laughs> and it makes it much easier for various other types of things to cross over or to manifest or to do whatever they're going to do. Um, Lep Castle in Ireland is another uh, one that people will sometimes mention as a place where a lot of things seem to be going on. Um, there's a lot of human haunting activity that people have talked about elementals there. Um, people talk about fairy activity there. So it it just seems to be that certain places in our world are just prone to either drawing these things to it, maybe because of the energy that's there or making it easier for these things to happen, if that makes sense. It does. And you mentioned cryptids, and I was also thinking about that, you know, different type dogmen, even, you know, Bigfoot may be kind of in that same realm that we're, we're discussing right now, right? Yeah, yeah, there's actually a lot of interesting conversation, um, I think, particularly around Bigfoot, Sasquatch, um, any, you know, goes by many names around the world, all of those things, um, and exactly sort of where and how that fits in. Um, Because a lot of times we, we, um, the, the collective, we tend to lump that in sort of as a cryptid, but 
it really is folkloric. It, it's part of the, the native beliefs um, in the areas that it's found in, and it's been there for a very long time. And a lot of the things that it's known to do, or you know, the way that it's described in the folklore and in modern stories, um, really kind of borderline or cross into what we would maybe call the supernatural, um, appearing, disappearing, um, you know, is one of the immediate things that comes to mind. And um, it does, I think, become this really fine line of how are we going to categorize this? Like, what are we going to, how are we going to understand it? Um, or is it just its own completely separate category? It just, you know, we have angels and demons and ghosts and fairies and Sasquatch, <laughs> you know, yeah. just kind of its whole own thing. Right. Um but it's, yeah, it's a fascinating discussion. Um, Joshua Cutchin wrote a book oh, I love called Joshua. Trojan Feast. Yeah, I've yeah, Joshua's a, a great. Oh, awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, I'm friends with him on social media, naturally, because social media is the center of the universe. Um, <laughs> but his book, Trojan Feast, he yeah. really gets into this fascinating crossover with fairies and Sasquatch. And then, of course, the you know alien phenomena as well. And the more you kind of dig into it, the more similarities you see, the more you really have to start, you know, wondering what actually is going on here. Yeah, yeah. The crossovers are amazing. Uh, and the more and more I look at it, it's just the, the connections are undeniable. I, I sometimes think that it's all just connected to uh, not the same phenomena, but it's all connected because it's all part of the same thing. Uh, you know, it's I think that. I don't know if we're ever going to understand it, but I'm glad that uh, in the past few years there is more of a developing interest in the mainstream and more people kind of taking it seriously and looking at it. So that's encouraging. Uh, now, one of the things you talk about is possibly rerouting roads has something to do with uh, this phenomenon in Ireland. Yep, Ireland and Iceland as well, yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Um... Basically, the, the idea is that when you we're looking at fairies, uh, in the case of Ireland, the, the um, Holda folk are Alfar in Iceland. Um, but the idea is that these beings are very territorial, that they have particular places or particular um, things that are very strongly associated with them that they consider to be theirs. So in Ireland, we see um, most often this is fairy trees, which is a, usually a lone hawthorn in a field. Um, which for people who aren't familiar with hawthorns, which I assume is most people, that is weird. Like they generally, they don't grow by themselves. They tend to grow in like clusters and groves and, and big groups. And so when you just have one kind of on its own, um, that's unusual. And so the idea sort of is if you have one growing by itself, there's something supernatural to it. And it's seen as kind of belonging to the fairies, to the good folk. So in the 1990s, there was a case, I think this was the most recent one, where um, there was a ferry tree and there was a road construction that was going to involve removing it. And there was a big sort of outcry about it um, because people believe if you interfere with these places, if you cut down these trees, that very, very bad things will happen. Um, usually along lines of like the people who do the cutting will die and bad luck for everyone. Like nobody wants to be part of it. Um, there's actually a, a pretty widespread belief that the reason the DeLorean car company went bankrupt and had all the problems it had was because they 
and this part is true, that they built a factory in Ireland and on the property of the factory was a fairy tree and they cut it down. And within a year of that factory being built, the company was done. So, you know, people are very, um, very clear that like you don't interfere with these places. Um, in, I- in Iceland, um, it was more recent. I believe it was in the last 10 or 20 years. There was a road that was going to be built. And in Iceland, it's stones. They call them Alfakirhian elf churches, um, but they're like big boulders. They're supposed to be the home of the elves and you don't mess with them for, you know, very similar reasons. Um, and so again, there was this big, it sort of made national news and international news um, protest about rerouting the road so that they didn't interfere with this particular stone. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing. I will say that there's an awful lot of anecdotal evidence <laughs> that when you do mess with these places, negative things do seem to happen. And there's there's also a lot of crossover here into the missing 411 material. Uh, I think of that quite often as, you know, we go through the conversation, just people going National Forest, boom, gone. Or all the other high strangeness that's around it, UFO lights, uh, strange paranormal activity. It's, uh, man, the connections are very profound there. Definitely. Um, and, you know, it's... It's interesting because I think that if it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago, the missing 411 in particular, people would more immediately be like, oh, this is clearly fairies or this is clearly, you know, um, because that used to be something that was more a go-to explanation for people if someone, you know, mysteriously vanished in a situation where they really should not have. Um, and I particularly tend to look at the missing 411s involving children where the children are found later, but it's like inexplicable distances. And, you know, like they, they could not physically have gotten that far um, and they're fine. And then, you know, you also have these um, not exactly missing 411, but very similar stories of children who disappear for, you know, two or three days in the woods in freezing temperatures should not be able to survive. And they're found alive and healthy. And they have a story about, you know, a bear kept them warm, which as I'm sure we all realize bears are not really prone to doing that. Yeah. Um, Not much for childcare. Yeah. Um, And that's, those are all very in line with, with stories of fairies and, you know, things that fairies would do. So yeah. Uh, and another thing you kind of take a look at is the possibility of if the reports of black-eyed children could be associated with fairy folklore as well, right? Yep. Um, that's one that's been getting a lot more attention, which I'm glad because I think that it's something that probably more people have had experiences with, but either just dismissed it as a weird random experience or didn't really understand what it could be. Um, So I think it's good that that's getting more attention, um, the the concept of Black-eyed children. Uh, Obviously, it is one of those controversial things. Everyone has an opinion. Um, I've heard people argue that they, they could be aliens. I've heard people argue vampires. I've heard people argue a lot of things. Um, and obviously I've heard people argue that it's not real at all and people are just making it up. But, you know, when I look at the, the stories, um, starting with the, the original black eyed child children encounters and, 
then getting into the more recent ones that people are talking about. It definitely checks a lot of those boxes for what we would look for with fairies. Um, you know, I mentioned a little earlier the uh, thing about fairies tend to appear dressed in clothing that's a little outdated. Um, a lot of the black eyed children, for the, the accounts that I've read, um, appear sort of in uh, outdated clothes. Um, not into like, you know, pioneer times outdated, but you know, enough that the people seeing them think they, they're dressed a little strangely. Um, they tend to act very differently from what people would expect children in those situations to act like. Um, I've read a lot of encounters now that describe them as sort of like emotionless or very calm, mm-hmm. you know, even as they're like asking for help, you know, in the night, in the dark, just very calm um and that to me is also a bit of a a red flag with fairies um because they're often described as acting in ways emotionally that don't fit the human expectation um now you said you've heard some some recent modern accounts of black-eyed children uh is there any story or anything in particular that sticks out in your mind that you could tell tell us about that that happened to someone um, I think the biggest one that sticks out to me, um, and this is what I ran across in a social media group. Uh, this was a first person encounter. This was someone telling their own experience. Um, they seemed very sincere. Uh, you know, they didn't seem like they were um, joking around, uh, but they talked about how they had been home alone uh, one night when they were in their, I think this is early 20s. And someone had knocked at the door and they didn't want to open it because they were home alone. Um, so they had kind of, you know, called the door and said like, who is it? And it was, you know, children voices answered and said, it, you know, we're, we're lost. We need, can we use your phone? We need to call our mother. And for whatever reason, the person said she just got a very bad feeling about it. Like very unnerved. The hair went up on her arms, just, um, said it, the whole thing didn't feel right. And so she had said, well, you know, if you stay there, I'll call um, the police, you know, to come out. And they, the children then sort of started um, trying to convince her not to do that. Like, no, no, just if you can let us in, um, you know, we can use your phone, we can call our mother. So then she was like, well, why don't you give me your mother's phone number and I'll call her, you know, not opening the door. And, you know, the children were still very like, no, 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 you know, don't, don't do that. Just if you just let us in, you know, so we can use your phone. So at this point, of course, she was very freaked out um, because they were just so insistent that she needed to let them in and that they needed to make the phone call and they wouldn't give her like any information. Um, so she was finally like, you know, I'm sorry, I can't. Um, but she went around the window to kind of look out and she said, you know, what she saw, it looked like, you know, a, a little girl and a boy, maybe like 10, 12 years old, um, dark hair, totally dark eyes, wearing white. She said the girl was in like a white dress and the boy was in like a white shirt and white pants. And she's, she got really scared. And she's like, I, I didn't know if they were ghosts. I didn't know what they were. Um, and so she ended up calling, I think her father, who was at work, was like, you need to come home. Um, and then when she went back out, they were gone to look out the window, they were gone. Um, 
And, you know, she's, she was saying that she was very convinced if she had let them in that something bad would have happened to her. So, um, like I said, she's, she's very, she seemed very honest in the story she was telling. So. Right. Now, another thing that uh, this makes me think of is kind of more of the dark arts, occult rituals that you hear about of the past where individuals are actually summoning entities from different realms. And, you know, they, they like we discussed earlier, either uh, have a task for you to do or they want to steal your soul or have a contract or something like that. Uh, have you explored any connections between ritual magic and these entities? Sure. Um, there's a long history with fairies and um, ceremonial magic, ritual magic, mm-hmm. um, going back at least uh, four or 500 years that we can find, um, particularly the idea people would summon them to find treasure or, you know, to reveal <laughs> yeah. where like gold was, <laughs> you know, You've got nothing better to do with your time, I right. guess you can go through this long invocation process so that fairies can tell you where your, where money is. But um, yeah, it's definitely something we see usually with fairies that what they would want in exchange or like for payment um, often stuff that like we as humans wouldn't necessarily see as super valuable. Um, like there's one account um, you can find this in the, the book of Ober and it's called, it's a um, book that came out in I think 2017 um, Daniel Harms was one of the authors. I can't remember the other two, but it's like a collection of, of um, ceremonial magic kind of stuff from the 16 and 1700s. And um, basically what you're paying the fairy with is dinner. Like you, you set up this like a uh, meal and then invite the fairy in. And if the fairy comes in, that's sort of the agreement then. And then they would... Um, help you do what you needed to do so to us you know as humans you're sort of thinking well that seems like a really strange thing like you're paying them with a meal but you're getting you know gold or treasure or whatever it is you want to find and um, I think some of that is because when you're dealing with these beings they're so not human that you kind of have to to not expect that you know don't expect human emotions don't expect um that whatever they might want is going to be something humans might value. Um, you know, they have a whole different set of priorities going on. Um, so it's, it's interesting to kind of look at. I haven't seen one yet where the fairy wants the person's soul, but that doesn't mean it's not out there. Right. Man, this is so fascinating. There's so many kind of aspects and roads we could look at. Uh, you also kind of explore uh, the question of if technology can affect fairies or can we record them? Can they manipulate it? Uh, what have you come up with with that? I really wish, like my, my dream in life, is to get one of these like ghost hunting professional groups to instead try to investigate fairies. Because um, right, yeah. I, I think that could be super fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that a lot of the technology might cross over fairly well. Um, I will say that when we look at um, things like EVPs, electronic um, voice phenomena, um, that seems to work really well to record human spirits and, and things along those lines. 
um, but not so much for fairies. I think when we hear fairies, you'll hear them like with your ears at the time. Um, they don't necessarily show up like in a um, inaudible way. Um, I do think that it is possible to capture them on film. Um, I don't know that I've really seen that done, but I also don't think most people are out there trying. Um, there's been a couple cases watching the shows with people who do the ghost hunting um, because they, they are fascinating shows um, where they think they're going after a human ghost. Or they think they're in a situation with, which is like a typical haunting. But a lot of the stuff that's going on to me seems a lot more like it's probably fairies. And there's been a couple of cases where things get caught like on the infrared camera um, that they can't explain. Uh, that doesn't look, for example, like a, a clear human figure, but there's, there's something going on. Um, and I, I strongly suspect that that might be more like fairy phenomena that has been captured. It's just not understood. Um, so I, I think that if you had a team equipped with some of this stuff that went into a place that was really well known for fairy phenomena or even cryptid phenomena, um, I think they would have some interesting results at the least. Sure. Um, investigating with this yeah that'd be super interesting to do something like that um i would you, love to see it yes i would too uh you also write about other types of kind of uh mythological or paranormal beings one of them is i believe it's pronounced the dare do ireland's ghostly vampire <laughs> could you tell us about that one yeah, it's a fascinating story. Um, and there are some people who've kind of speculated that this is where Bram Stoker, who was, of course, Irish, um, got a lot of the concepts that he sort of rolled into his Dracula story. Um, the Derek Zoo is basically um, a story that kind of gets got passed down in folklore. We, of course, don't know if it's real history, if it actually happened or, um, or what, just because of the time period. But Supposedly, it was a young woman who um, had, you know, fallen in love, unfortunately, with the wrong sort of person. So her father was against it. And instead, her father sort of arranged this marriage, this wealthy landowner or lord. Um, and he was just a terrible person. And so she had kind of sworn that she would never marry him, was sort of forced into it anyway. Um, and then fairly immediately after the wedding um, threw herself uh, from a height um, often it's said to be like from the the highest part of the um, keep the castle that they were living in uh, obviously to her death and had sort of sworn before she did this that she would get revenge <laughs> um, in some versions of the story the person that she was in love with had also been killed before this um, so you know, there's, there's some variations in the folklore that's rolling around out there, but basically she is then taken and buried, um, and she does not stay that way <laughs> in classic vampire fashion. Um, she then returns and, uh, sort of starts, uh, on this vengeance that she had promised, um, and starts killing these various people initially that were associated with why she had, um, committed suicide, but then, it kind of branches out from there, you know, as, as mass murder tends to do. And uh, she was sort of known again for this, the blood drinking. Um, 
And so finally, the sort of end result uh, was that to keep her from rising out of her grave once a year, which is what she was known to do, uh, they piled a lot of stones, heavy stones on top of it, which is supposed to be the reason she's not seen anymore, that she's still there. She was not like destroyed or defeated or anything, um, but she's sort of held in place for the moment. Um, There's a really interesting movie that just came out called The Boys from County Hell. I saw that Which is an Irish film. Ah, it's such a good movie. Yeah, it was good. Um, A similar concept there with the Abertac and the idea that the stones held it in place. And when someone comes along and moves the stones, you kind of free free the thing that's there yeah um similar concept in the folklore to what we see with the dare too so yeah um and like i said a lot of people feel that bram stoker at the least took some inspiration from this um because obviously his version of dracula is not very much like the the version of dracula that we find um in romanian folklore yeah (laughs) he kind of gave it a different direction for sure uh, but man. yeah Good. but we do have this nice irish vampire folklore um which kind of fits in a little better with some of what he wrote so now one more thing i want to close out on uh another entity that you, we have here in your talking points is the bean side is that i pronounced that right oh banshee oh banshee wow yeah, yeah. all right the banshee yeah. sorry about that um yeah, Irish is, is Banshee, and I I tend sometimes to forget and not write it in the, the English, so my apologies for that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, uh, <laughs> I've never seen it uh, written like that. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah, Banshee, it literally means fairy woman um, in the Irish. Uh, and, of course, that story, that folklore has spread all over the place, very popular. Um, she's a really fascinating one, though, because... It's again, we get into this muddy waters with the folklore of like in some places she's pretty clearly a fairy. Um, she's a, a fairy woman um, who is connected to these different human families. Um, I had mentioned at the very beginning the whole thing with fairies don't reproduce as much and humans get involved and mayhem ensues, but there are um, a lot of accounts of uh, different families that are supposed to have an ancestor who is not human. And in this case, that's sort of where some of the Banshee comes in. Uh, The idea that she was at some point an ancestor for this family line. And so she still shows up to sort of cry and mourn when there's going to be a death in the family. Um, In some folklore, she's a goddess who, you know, uh, somewhat similar concept. Um, But in others, it's a human ghost. It's, uh, you know, clearly a human who died um, sometimes very tragically, sometimes with something unfinished. And so they are sort of stuck um, in some accounts for what length would have their life would have been um, and others just an you know, unknown period of time doing this job of like mourning and crying when there's going to be a death. Um, but we also have Banshee folklore, which is a little darker. Um, there's, uh, this widespread idea that they have long hair and they like to comb their long hair and they'll leave their comb in a pathway or road. But if you find it and take it home with you, sort of like, you know, horror movie style, she is going to come to collect her comb. And 
if you don't give it to her, um, bad things will happen to you. But if you just hand it to her, uh, bad things will happen to your hand. So we have these stories of people who the banshee's kind of outside wailing and, and shrieking and they'll get like fireplace tongs and grab the comb and kind of try to hand it out the window and she'll grab it and they pull the tongs back in and they're all twisted and mangled, um, you know, cause the, the banshee's not very happy, but you know, I don't know. She left the comb in the roadway. So <laughs> it seems like a bit of a setup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't trust it. I uh, wouldn't trust it either. For sure. Uh, now uh, let's end on this. The, since, you know, for years there's been an evolution of exploration of, you know, UFO phenomena, paranormal. Years ago it was strictly nuts and bolts and we had this, you know, it, those that believed in aliens had the firm belief that they were physical beings coming here from different planets in their little tin cans and for whatever reason experimenting with us. Well, that's kind of evolving, especially in the past few years. I'm really happy to see a lot of researchers looking at some of the more metaphysical aspects of it and combining it. And I think that's what we need more of in the future is more different fields of this research coming together to figure out what the heck is going on with all of this because it's obvious connected uh do you have hopes for the yeah do you have hopes for the future of this type of research i do i do um and i'm very much on the same page with you on this one and i i think it's very hopeful it's a very good sign that in the last five years in particular um you know things do seem to be loosening up a bit um because as i'm sure you're aware there used to be some very firm boundaries. Mm. You know, if, if you were in one particular community, then you really, yeah. you know, really were um, not a fan of another particular community. And, you know, you, there wasn't a lot of sharing of ideas or communication or mm. kind of willingness to consider theories outside of that, like very particular viewpoint. But it seems like in the last particularly five years or so, that people are getting much more open-minded to the idea that it's less that there's one answer to be found and more that there's multiple things going on that are interconnected in some way or that cross over, but that maybe don't have one clear, you know, simple explanation. Um, kind of like when we were talking about those locations where you get all this different activity and, you know, it's not just this one thing. It's, it's a lot of stuff going on. How are we ever going to figure out why that's happening and why that place if we're taking such a narrow view? You know, you have to be willing to look at all those layers and all the nuances, I think, if you want to ever kind of get to that understanding. And it definitely seems like we're, we're getting better about that. <laughs> Maybe not perfect yet, but we're getting better. Yeah, for sure. Well, Morgan, this was awesome. I love the work you're doing. Uh, before you head out, let everyone in the audience know where they can find your books, if you have websites, social media, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, my books are sadly on Amazon, which is where everything is, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, there you go. Uh, social media, I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's all under my name, Morgan Daimler. Uh, I decided early on to just try to keep it simple. So, I'm fairly easy to find on social media. Um, I do have a new book coming out uh, this 
August, I believe it's the beginning of August, maybe the end of July, um, Pagan Portals AC, which is specifically looking at Irish fairies. Um, but otherwise, I have, I have way too many books out there already. So lots to choose from. Definitely. Well, I know we kind of barely scratched the surface on this topic. I would definitely love to have you back on in the future to discuss it more. Definitely. There's so much to it. Yeah. We could talk for hours and hours and hours and still not get all of it. For sure. Yeah. I love stuff like this. Morgan, thank you Definitely. so much. That was fantastic. Uh, I hope to be talking again in the future for sure. And until next time, everyone have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.